So I was driving down a road with a friend of mine and we pulled up alongside somebody that we knew and my friend stuck his head out the window and was just screaming at this person that was that had pulled up next to us. You're teenagers. And we're teenagers. We're, yeah. I think we're like 16, 17 years old or whatever. As, as you do. Yeah. yeah. And so he starts, Terrors on the road. he starts screaming and then I also start screaming and then for some reason I hit the switch. I think I was like trying to roll up my window and instead of rolling up my window I rolled up his and he hadn't gotten his head out in time and so I started driving off and as I'm doing it his head is getting rolled up outside the window <laughs> and as soon as I noticed it was happening I you know immediately like pulled the window back down and I kept trying to apologize to him but I couldn't stop laughing at how funny this situation was real, real genuine apology <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And says like, okay, I get he doesn't think that I really mean I'm sorry. Like, I didn't mean to do this, but it was pretty funny. This one is less Jerry Lewis and more Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton. Hmm. I was walking. It was nighttime and it was and I was in, in Koreatown in New York and it's not dark in Koreatown by any means, but the street is still cast in shadow in places. And uh, I wasn't looking where I was going. Fatal error. And uh, one of those holes, one of those uh, um, shoots in the sidewalk was open and I fell down the chute of the sidewalk and miraculously was not injured. I slid down because it's not a straight drop, but it's just this really steep conveyor belt. Yeah. And like I slipped and fell on my butt and my back and went sliding down this conveyor belt and crashed into what was like a broom closet. And I was panic stricken and there was it was really dark, but there was a door and I opened the door and I just clattered out of this door with a bunch of brooms and mops into a restaurant <laughs> that was open God. and it was like a needle lift and then I, I can't I can't believe I survived were you afraid of traps as a kid like booby traps like booby traps or maybe natural natural or man-made mine when I was a kid I was afraid of quicksand mm. and inexplicably I was afraid of tiger pits hmm well, quicksand, I found out, is just like a, a film trope. Like you, you, like people don't die of quicksand. You basically just sink down to your waist, and then you, that's that's where it ends. And then you just live yeah. there. Yeah. I think there are sink pits. You can die in a sink pit, but that's not the same thing as quicksand. Can't have quicksand in a sink pit? No. They're different yeah. things. Uh, tiger pit? I never had one. <laughs> Welcome back, welcome back to The Long Road Home Alone. Coming to you live from Sheboygan, Wisconsin. This is Joey Z. I'm with Jimmy. Jimmy, thank you for having me on the show today. You're welcome. I am so excited to be here. I'm very happy to be here. Great. I'm happy to be here too. And thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks for having me too. You're very welcome. Okay. Uh, Man, boy oh boy, I've been watching this movie Home Alone. You've got to see it. What are the parts... In Home Alone, that make you laugh the most? Ooh, that's a big question. Yeah. And 
part of the reason why it's a big question is because there are a whole bunch of different types of of comedy in this movie. Yeah, I mean, you could spend hours talking about it. You could. You really could deconstruct the whole thing from a film criticism angle and talk about all the styles of comedy. We would never do that. Yeah. We wouldn't. Um, Angels with Filthy Souls and the way that Kevin uses it against the, uh, particularly against the pizza boy mm. uh is just delightful t- to me always has been it's clever it's funny it's a callback yeah but you don't even know it it when you first see it it's not a joke and then the callback is the first time it's used as a joke which is clever yeah uh that's a big one for me i think the one that makes me laugh the most over and over again is the christmas ornaments when marv <laughs> is going through the window after having failed to go in through the basement and climb up the stairs he now has no shoes and no socks because they've been taken off by the tarred stairs he's stepped on the nail which i also think is just hilarious it's the delay i think in him stepping on it and the scream like he steps on it and then has to look down to make sure that his foot is there feeling pain before he starts screaming and then he falls directly back Onto the basement floor. Marv is a cartoon character. Yeah. He's kind of the only character in the movie who's just truly fully a cartoon character. Oh, yeah, for sure. So you like then once he's already been through the ringer. Yeah, that's one of my favorites, but it leads up to my favorite, which is the Christmas ornaments, because I love when he does that. Harry, I'm coming in. And then he goes in through the open window and he looks so pleased with himself as he's like, oh, I, I made it into the house. I outsmarted the kid and then he just slams both of his feet down on Christmas ornaments <laughs> and the, so goofy. the scream is so immediate and so extreme like I don't think somebody screaming in pain has ever sounded more funny than in that moment he really hits octaves yeah. Daniel Stern is got the screech down to a science in this movie oh yeah the tarantula scream which i think the influence for that was psycho like he was basically just trying to emulate the psycho scream in the shower that one a little inside baseball that one was adr Mm -hmm. that was recorded after the fact it was a silent scream because the spider would have been too scared by the the actual sound yeah they didn't want to upset the spider And I think Daniel Stern, least of anyone, wanted to upset it. He was really squeamish about this. I guess he doesn't like spiders. And so it was a lot for him. And he said, well, do one take. They also went into the scene intending to use a fake spider on his face. It was like a... Not a prosthetic, but, uh, you, you know, like a, a rubber spider, a rubber yeah. spider, basically. And they said, yeah, it looks too fake. So we're gonna have to put a real spider on your face. And it's perfect. I think oh. that's maybe his best scream in the whole movie. Yeah. Is because he got to do that in the booth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he got to loop that one and watch himself and probably got to conjure some of his own fear. Yeah. Watching himself get a spider put on his face. I do love that when he first plants his feet into the Christmas ornaments and then also he screams, I'm going to kill that kid and then he gets up and he starts walking through the ornaments further and there's this one where he like one of his feet just crushes one of the ornaments and he's like (laughs) (laughs) it's almost the first one is just clear pain and this this one is just pain and frustration like ah just like (laughs) 
It's so goofy. Yeah. I mean, the way he sets both feet in the window, yeah. the way that he just walks through them. It's not a landmine. It's not like a minefield of Christmas ornaments. He could step. <laughs> he could, but, but he's, he he's Marv. So he's, he's too Marv. Yeah. Well, and that was, that was something else that I think like really worked with this particular gag is they wanted to put rubber feet on Daniel Stern and he thought it would look too fake, which it probably would have. Cause you can see from the long shot outside when he's wearing rubber feet it's clearly giant feet on daniel stern yeah. uh and they're not real ornaments they were made of sugar but they can still cut your feet and sure. so it, like there was a risk there they still need to pop and snap like yeah. glass yeah but he insisted on just on doing it barefoot the entire way and i i don't know i think it really paid off there is something to be said about joe pesci being funny in this movie hmm. because pesci he's not funny yeah i mean i think pesci is a great actor in his lane yeah in scorsese and scorsese like films yeah but he's great in home alone and i mean he's, he's still playing a criminal but the humor's more subtle he's very uh He's very irritable mm -hmm. and he really leans yeah, into that. curmudgeon like yeah. brain of the operations type guy. And where I feel like where Pesci brings his humor the best is being mad at Marv. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between dramatic being mad mm -hmm. and comedic being mad. Yeah. And and even though he's very annoyed all the time, he understands where he lands those comedic performances. Yeah. Uh, it's strange that you like you think of Joe Pesci as like not a comedic actor because I actually wasn't introduced to the Martin Scorsese type of Joe Pesci until well into adulthood. Are you more like an eight heads in a duffel bag? No, not that kinda? one. I, I knew him from Home Alone and Home Alone 2, but I largely knew him from Lethal Weapon. And he plays Leo oh, Getz sure. in that. And he's just like pure comedy. And he's not the tough guy in that movie. He's even less of a tough guy than than uh, than Harry is. That is a fair point. You make a good point. I've I, He does have comedic roles. So I just want to formally apologize. Okay, I forgive you. Marth! Harry? Where the hell did you take your shoes off? Why the hell are you dressed like a chicken? I'm up here, you morons! Come and get me! Where do you think this all starts? Like, this doesn't come out of nowhere either. You know, it's it actually it's actually like pulled straight from the first scene where he says your Aunt Leslie almost uh, stepped on one of your micro machines and, and broke, her, broke neck. her neck. You also get that line where he says he and was he's, making he's ornaments, building ornaments out of fish, out of fish hooks. He's, he's an enterprising little jerk. Yeah, I mean he's. He knows how to craft things. Yeah. 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 He's crafty. I mean, I, so I think before there are traps, there is this slow build up that sort of primes you to accept this climactic end of the second act, basically. Uh, late in the movie, all of a sudden, this becomes this slapstick hijinks film. Yeah. But you have subtly been trained to accept that in this world already because you have Kevin doing these little things. I also love that Home Alone seems to be well known 
for its slapstick humor, and that really is just the last 10 minutes of a 90-minute movie. Yeah, you've said it before. It's what brings audiences back. Yeah, I think the laughs that come from the slapstick stuff, uh, it keeps giving. It keeps being funny. And I think largely that comes down to the stunt guys because they're actually, like, doing these stunts. You know, when Harry slips and falls backwards on the frozen ice on the on the front steps, that's some guy. Like, that's... Uh, These are practical stunts. Yeah, and this is actually this guy just walking up there and slipping and falling on ice and actually landing on concrete. Uh, and I remember yeah. even during the commentary, like, Columbus was saying there were a couple times when one of those two guys fell and he was worried that they weren't going to get back up. Yeah, tip of the hat to the stunt guys because they really are the otherwise unsung heroes of this film. They're the ones who deliver it. They're the ones who sell all of these traps. And there are some dangerous ones. Kevin also has, Macaulay Culkin has a stunt double who is unbelievable. Yeah, Larry Nicholas is uh, his stunt double. This guy looks from the back like an eight-year-old boy. Yeah. I mean, it's he's not just short. He's got childlike hands yeah he must have been the stunt double for other kids and other movies but i mean he looks you can watch so for instance his one big scene is because normally kevin's setting the traps yeah but he's got one big stunt where he's climbing buzz's shelves shelves, yeah and if you watch that scene you see it you see these shelves collapse in a wide shot Mm -hmm. i mean there's no there's no faking there's that. no faking it. It's no trick photography. I mean, yeah. these things were set to bust. Yeah. And this guy had to climb these shelves filled with stuff. Yeah. Them. And get to the top in order for them to break and cascade down the wall. Yeah. And it's it's a fantastic. It's just a fantastic. Well, that was stunt. An, that was another stunt too that uh, that Columbus said the stunt guy was like actually scared when he was up there. There's probably a best way to do it, but there's no great way. <laughs> yeah. To do that one. Well, this is early '90s. You know, it's still like the Wild West of the stunt world. Like they're basically just like, well, you know how to fall well, so go do it. Yeah. And and that's pretty much it. Yeah. What about these traps that Ke- <laughs> how do I want to put this Kevin realizes that the wet bandits are going to rob him it is an inevitability and mm-hmm. so he prepares for war Yeah, and he knows that he can't beat them fair they're two adult men yeah. so he's got to outsmart them and most of this is by is by booby trapping yeah. The house. Well, we had our first line of defense, which is just him op- uh, like turning on all of the lights when he hears them creeping up the first night. Right. And then they say, I, th- I thought you said he was gone. And then, yeah, they, they get scared off. Right. He starts with trying to dissuade them. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's that's the first move. I think the second one is to continue to try to dissuade them, but this is with a more elaborate attempt. And this is the where he like basically sets up all the mannequins around the house. Yeah. He's got the Michael Jordan on the train set. Right. The and I'm going to call it the house party. Yeah. There's yeah. there's just a party going on at the McAllister house, so obviously the wet bandits aren't going to rob it. And then the next day, you get another gag with the Angels with Filthy Souls, where he uses that and the firecrackers to scare off Marv, who right. was like doing reconnaissance again. And I think credit belongs to Macaulay Culkin when we start getting into Kevin versus the wet bandits. And all told, I don't know if I've ever come right out and said this before. Maybe I'm just taking it for granted. Granted, but Macaulay Culkin is good. Yeah. He's good in this movie. Yeah. I mean, he has range. He has really great comedic timing. And I think there are things that are, if they're not improvised, 
he does a really good job as a child actor of leaning into these things. Yeah. Regardless of, of how much direction he's he may be getting from Columbus. And one I really love is how enthusiastic he is during the house party where he's got four. He's he's got ropes in both of his hands and yeah. he's got them tied to his legs. Yeah, and he's just dancing, and he's just doing this really. Enth- he's loving it. Yeah, he's having so much fun. And then he looks out the window and he sees that it works when the wet bandits drive off. And he's just so pleased with himself. He's like, so, yeah. I've got this covered. I can be an adult. But the stakes get higher. And so once they can't be, they catch him with his pants down because yeah. they see him putting up the christmas tree yeah right he cuts it down and then they go and walk up right and then he's putting it up and then and he sees their reflection so he knows yeah and that's when he's caught off guard because he really unconvincingly yeah dad for his dad dad can you come help me and and joe pesci just sees right through it he's like no he's home alone so kevin's got an hour to set this up after church with old man marley and then he tries to to eat a dinner but it doesn't uh doesn't work out wow okay yeah okay let's let's go back to that for a minute so he has not set any of these traps yet no he has one hour yeah and he draws a detailed map of all of the traps in that hour i think maybe he already had the map drawn I, I don't I don't had, think so. I don't think so. Uh, I think he had the plan because he doesn't come to the revelation until he leaves the church and he's reflecting on what Harry and Marv said. We'll come back at nine o'clock. That way it's dark. No, no, and no, no. That's no, when no, he comes. No, no. That's when he comes no, to no, the conclusion no, 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 that he no, no. needs to set the traps. You are absolutely. You could not be wronger about that. You are so wrong because when he hears them say that, he says to himself, when those guys come back. I'll be ready. No, he goes. No, no. That happens uh, when he catches them coming out of the Murphy's and they're like, let's follow him. See what house he goes into. Uh, And then they do follow him. Then he goes to the church, hides out in the shepherd uniform, and then they go off. And that's when he says, when those guys come back, I'll be ready. So is that when he then has the house party? That's when he has the house party. Okay. So I am wrong. You're wrong. So I'm wrong once again. All right. It's okay. I'm not going to apologize for it this time. We can move on. But I am deeply ashamed. Let's really dig in here and talk about all these, the breadth of the traps that Kevin sets. Yeah. I still think that he did the map beforehand, but I'm just trying to save face at this point. Uh, We we can agree that he goes home and sets all the traps over the course of one hour. Yes. Which is preposterous. The blowtorch and the tarring, I think, would have taken some time. The rest, I don't know, like the micro machines, uh, maybe. I mean, the ice would take more than an hour unless it's 20 below. I mean, it is Chicago. It is windy. Yeah. Our producer pointed out that this, the, the traps are almost elemental in a way, right? We have fire, we have ice. I'm going to point out that we have wind Hmm. from a fan. Also, it's the windy city. What's the other element? Fire, ice, wind, earth, or is that an element or is that captain planet? Oh, I don't know. Fire, earth, wind, water, heart, old man, Marley's the heart. Old Um, man, Marley's the heart. And yeah, earth. I don't know where that one is. Well, the, the film takes place on planet. Well, I I also love, okay. The, the specifically the wind one, he sets up a fan to like blow feathers. Like this isn't, this isn't a defense. (laughs) This is humiliation. This is is a great, this is a great one to point out because this is just humiliation. He is wearing down the wet bandits, both physically and emotionally. They've now been and feathered at this yes. point. 
Also, let's just point at the fact for a moment that when Buzz says at the end of the film, it's pretty cool that you didn't burn the place down. Buzz is right. Yeah. It's very cool. Well, specifically, he didn't specifically because blowtorch. Yeah, he's got a blowtorch inside, and he's also got this red hot coil that's just hanging on the door. I had no idea what that was for the longest time. I had to look it up. It's a grill starter, apparently. Like, so how does that work? Like, you just stick this coil into a pile of coals or something and it lights them on fire? bed of charcoal? Just just use the chimney thing. That's the the best way to light it. Or douse it in lighter fluid. Well, I mean, it's 1990. No one's who's, who's, who's worrying about that. I guess that's true. Could you still smoke on planes in 1990? I think so, yeah. Really? Probably. First class. I, I, didn't, I don't see anyone I smoking. Didn't, I didn't fly planes in 1990. You didn't fly them. Yeah. I didn't. You weren't yet a I didn't, pilot. I didn't fly, commercial I didn't fly pilot. on planes in 1990. Oh, I get I get what you're saying. The blowtorch the blowtorch effect. Uh that how did one, they how did they do that? That is a fantastic practice. It, it is a great gag. That wasn't a composite shot. They had a piece of glass that reflected the actual fire, which was blowing onto basically this mannequin head that they had wrapped in black cloth that wouldn't burn mm. uh, and so the fire is just burning down on this mannequin flame resistant head making it create that shape as if flame were burning onto someone's scalp so it's in the same room yes okay it is so they're compositing two shots in camera mm-hmm. at the same time yeah it's great yeah it's great uh can we speak to the severity of these injuries yeah they're brutal too right yeah. i feel like each one individually is survivable yeah possibly the blowtorch to the head is a little extreme yeah maybe I mean, he's that... got a he's got a hat on it only hits the hat he's got like a little bit of a barrier there yeah that would hurt <laughs> He's seriously wounded. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't pay much attention to it after. That's the first really bad thing that happens to. I mean, Harry his does take gets, some spills. Yeah. His hand gets burned. That's right. No, yeah. He is already and, pretty beat up. Slipping and falling on ice. Then he gets tarred and feathered. I don't know. I think the worst injury that any of them sustain, apart from the shovel to the head from old man Marley. It actually, I think it's when Marv hits Harry with the crowbar when he's trying to kill a spider, he hits him full force in his rib cage with, with a, a crowbar. crowbar. And I love what the, does he <laughs> think he's going to achieve doing that? It's such a stupid thing to do. I just, Don't move I think, I think as if when he hits the tarantula yeah he'll only hit the tarantula yeah like everyone in the room including like marv in the audience they all understand what's about to happen here <laughs> and it just doesn't seem to occur to marv okay also it's a spider man like you could have you could have like, off yeah you could have used anything else and it would have killed <laughs> it you chose a crowbar, a crowbar. <laughs> and then it doesn't permanently disable harry he's just real mad yeah he's just real mad so he picks it up He hits Marv with it a couple times and then he throws it. And one of the most, I think, understated, that's another thing that makes me really laugh is when he throws the crowbar 
off screen yeah. you hear a shatter yeah <laughs> off, off yeah. screen and, it, and it's just it's just perfect yeah. it's impeccable uh you had mentioned marley hitting them on the head and i do want to point out since we were talking a little bit about the stunt doubles the stunt doubles are great with the exception of marley's stunt double yeah who's just pitiful yeah really they, bad and if you haven't noticed it before go back and watch and you'll never see that scene the same way again bandits are just truly gluttons for punishment yeah and that maybe is my biggest takeaway about these characters is they don't know when to quit yeah and i don't is it a statement on greed what is it why are they so obsessed i know it's the silver tuna but when does it become no longer about robbing the house and more about exacting revenge there, on Kevin. There is uh, well, I don't know when that is, but there is a point in the film where Harry says to Marv, ever since I set eyes on that house, I wanted it. So there is something driving him towards this house specifically. I mean, you know, honestly, it might be because they forced him to stand in their foyer for like a half an hour before somebody addressed him. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to make these people pay for that. He's got he's got no respect for the McAllisters. That's for sure. Yeah. This does bring something to the four which i feel like is maybe an elephant maybe if not the elephant an elephant in the room which is at what point if ever do the McAllisters find out that they were robbed but they weren't robbed right well they were almost robbed I mean, that's true. I don't know if it'll ever come up. I mean, they'll definitely find out that their neighbors were robbed, well, too, I, at least. It's going to it's gonna come up. I mean, the police were there. There's going to be police reports. Yeah. I mean, the, the trail has not gone cold. Yeah. Right? I know that ultimately it all wrapped up next door at the Murphys, but come on. With that one, I am just willing to suspend my disbelief. Like, yeah, the kid didn't have enough time to clean up the stuff. He didn't have enough time to put the traps together together yeah i'm not about to suggest that we should have seen him cleaning up that would be boring yeah uh but i still don't buy it yeah i still don't buy it i try just not to think about that i try to live in the world of the film you know it ends with kevin what did you do to my room and i mean like that you could just chalk up to well buzz was a jerk to me before we left and i well i also needed to survive so i had to get some money somehow money right It's a little unlikely that he managed to clean up all the micro machines, but he didn't. But somehow he just left the gold tooth. Mm. That's the one piece of evidence that Peter finds. How long do you think the wet bandits went to jail for? Do you think the cops like interrogated them about what happened to them? I mean, they're clearly injured. Do you think they... Well, do you think they cared? I mean, Harry does go, watch the head, pal. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And the cop doesn't care. Nah, yeah. Get in. Get yeah. in there. We know each and every house that you hit. I will say, like, that is, like, not only do you steal from families while they're not home on Christmas, so they come home to find out that they've been robbed, but on top of that, 
you let their sinks run and flood their basements and do like terrible damage to their house that's gonna like you know take months to repair yeah marv says it's our calling card and he's really proud of that yeah and it's it it is part of this world building where marv is way more into it than harry but harry does also acknowledge that they're famous in a sense you know he goes you know you're one of the world's greatest cat burglars mob right he seems to show quite a bit of disdain for it though you know yes. like like yeah. i think he feels the same way that i do about it that like we're already robbing these people this is really sick that you need to do this on top of that you need to add one more level of misery to it yeah. like we're not getting anything out of that right marv wants the fame even once yeah. they're captured he's like well that's still the silver lining right yeah. it's like people will know about us right, we robbed the, these now houses the papers are gonna write about it that's why he's got to spell wet yeah right he actually knows how to spell wet yeah yeah w-e-t <laughs> and then harry kicks him shut up <laughs> so traps when it comes right down to it it's the reputation of home alone yeah i've seen home alone in theaters a number of times even as an adult and the traps still kill audiences still go nuts it's as funny as it was the first time it's a crowd pleaser yeah it's kind of the low-hanging fruit mm. per se it is the slapstick it's the easy laughs but, I know it, it. Yeah, but I know. it is also crucial to kevin's journey and his personal growth because it is him defending his house. Yeah, the way I look at this final scene, he has the talk with old man Marley at the church. Uh, he values his family. He's asked Santa to give his family back to him for Christmas, but the wet bandits are about to rob his house and he has to defend his house long enough for his family to come back home on Christmas. I think that's the idea going on in his head. It's his sense of responsibility. You don't ask Santa for your family back without being a good kid this year and i'm gonna have to step up yeah and it feels like the natural end to his arc in this movie so would you say that when it comes down to it it is the point of the whole film no is marv your favorite character i don't know i wouldn't say so right now hmm is kevin he could be i think that if you haven't seen it you ought to see this film Home Alone, 1990, Chris Columbus, written by John Hughes. I love when Joe Pesci gets shot in the nuts. And, the, and he's just like inconsolable and he's just shouting over and over. Like, and, and the entire time, Marv is like, what? Are you okay? What happened? <laughs> the Long Road Home Alone is broadcast live from Sheboygan, Wisconsin. It's hosted by Jimmy Dantes and Joey Z and produced by Pat Muldoon. Until next time, eat junk and listen to rubbish. <laughs>